Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, fantastic. So you've been reading your Bibles, everybody reading your Bibles, been having fun? I know we were reading, we were reading today, Cheryl was reading to me before we left for church having a coffee. I was almost late, because, but we're in Leviticus, and it's kind of odd, isn't it? Like we were reading about what kind of f- bugs with wings that you can eat and can't eat. May the Lord bless the reading of his words, you know, so, so now I know exactly when I catch a bug with flies, uh, it, it's something to do with his legs, whether he can had to be a jointed leg, so, so I have to learn a lot about flies so I can know now what ones I can eat and which ones I can't eat. Cheryl's a little disturbed because if, if you had a, a male baby, it was only like a seven, day, seven days unclean but a 33-day cleansing, and then if you had a girl baby that was 14 days unclean and 66 days of cleansing, and all the men said, wait, man. <laughs> Strange stuff. There's just as you're reading through Leviticus, you just you know, if you were somebody who said, "I want to, I want to study the faith of those Christians," I'm going to get their book and I'm going to read it. I think if they got into Leviticus, they might go, "What's with these people?" So that's why it's so important that we interpret these things through the filter of Jesus. We understand that. That's why I say, you know, all of it is written and it's all good for teaching and instructing for some reason, but it isn't necessarily written. Anyways, it's, uh, let's move on because I want to get to this. <laughs> so this whole thing is about them coming out. He brings them out of bondage, but it says that he brings them to himself, right? So, and, and this is all about God now saying, I want you to be a people through which I'm going to use, and, and, but I want to have a place where I can dwell among you. So while you guys are camping through the wilderness, I want you to build a Winnebago that I can travel with you in. So he's like, I want to travel with you, Winnebago. You get it, Winnebago? <laughs> Okay, it's just kind of trying to help you with pictures for today. Look at this, John 1, 38. Jesus looked around. He saw them following. People are following Jesus. And he, he says, what do you want? He asked them. And they replied, and this is very interesting. I thought it was really interesting. The first question they asked him is, where are you staying? I just thought, that's interesting. Where are you staying? And for me, I want to know, where are you staying, Lord? Where do you dwell? Where do you abide? Where do you rest? Or do you want to lay your head? And that's really what this whole thing in Exodus, there was the law and the giving law and all of those things. But all of this was about God himself wanting to dwell with them. So we're going to pop through a few verses rather quickly today. Exodus 19, 4 to 6, talks about I brought you out. And it says, I brought you to myself. He says, you're my special treasure. He says, I've identified you as a people that through my relationship with you, I'm going to really make all the nations of the world jealous. Not, not, not because I want them not to get in, but because I want them to say, I want your God to be my God. And through you, I'm going to reveal how awesome I am and wonderful I am so that all the nations will be attracted because I want to bring everybody into the family. So you're going to be special. I'm going to journey with you. Uh, Really, my my son is going to be born through this lineage, through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those generations. But you're going to be people through which I'm going to manifest my goodness to the whole earth. So we identified them. But look, he says, I brought you to myself. 
I brought you to myself. He's such a personal God. Exodus 25, 8, 9 says, have the people build a holy sanctuary so that I can live among you. I want to live among you. And you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly. Say exactly. It has to be exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. Exodus 31, 1 to 5, 35, 34 says, I've specifically chosen Bezalel. And it says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, when you're reading your Bible, when you see things for the first time, you should circle them and pay attention. What's this the first of? This is the first time anybody was said to be filled with the Spirit of God. And this guy was filled with the Spirit of God to build the place where God would dwell. Here was a guy, a craftsman, gifted and given the ability to train others in, in how to build and how to, God said, I've got exact specific requirements for the tent that I'm going to travel in and I need you to build it like that because I want to dwell among you. So these guys are filled with the spirit and given the ability to teach. All right, so you move on and you see in uh, uh, these pictures here, here you go, boom, boom. That's them, that's them traveling. If you look, see those guys on the top looking down, bird's eye view, this is them. Not only did they have specific instructions about the, the tent to the, the, you know, where God was going to place himself in the campground in the middle of them, because that's the tabernacle in the middle. But they were all told, all the tribes, everybody specifically told where you camp in relationship to my tent. So my tent goes here, and then you specifically are laid out like this. And if you looked at it from a bird's eye view, what you would see is a cross. And all of this was laid out, all of this pointed to the fact, even their campground, even how they traveled, even that, all of it was a picture of and a foreshadowing of the cross is the intention of God. The cross is the central theme of this whole book, that God would give his son and bring us into a relationship with the Father. So all of it. Now, look at the tabernacle. There's the tabernacle. That's how it was built. And it had to have white. It had all of the colors, everything specific. You know, they couldn't say, you know, I was watching HGTV yesterday, and I thought maybe we could throw in a couple of blue panels. You had to do it exactly. You couldn't, you couldn't divert from it one bit. It had to be exactly as God wanted every single aspect of it. Just that covering over top of the, uh, the holy place there. I mean, you had the, uh, uh, what type of skin was it, Gord? It was a, a badger skin. The top skin had to be a badger skin. Then there was a, a dyed red skin. There were four different layers over top of that. And all four of those layers speak about Jesus. I don't have time to go into them right now. And they're all interesting. There's incredible detail. I mean, in every specific detail, all of it points to Jesus. The colors used, everything used, all of it pointed to redemption. All of it pointed to our relationship with God being established through Jesus and the cross. So here's another drawing of the the, this is where you entered. You entered. The door was there at the bottom. You go up through. The first thing is the outer court. When you come through the outer court, the first instrument, first piece of furnishing was the brazen altar. That's where sacrifices were made. A brazen altar, it's made of a really, it would be copper. And you see, that was used because it can handle any kind of intense heat. Because whatever sacrifice you put in there, your sins are going to be completely obliterated, done away with, never seen again. The fire, not of God's judgment, but the refining fire of his love is going to totally set you free from anything that would offend a holy God. And he himself is going to set you totally free from sin and obliterate it from your relationship. Then you go to the labor, sanctification. I don't believe in progressive sanctification. If you do, that's awesome. But I think it says who the sun sets free is free indeed. And you're a new creation, every single aspect of you, a new creature, something never happened before. It came fully in the manifestation, not partly and progressively, but fully, totally. I am completely 
complete in every single aspect in Christ Jesus, not in my efforts to go on and perform. But that's a finished work right there. Then you go into the holy place, and when you get into the holy place, you know, it's a tent. It's a covered area. When you get in there, the light in that area is the golden lampstand. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the representation of the sevenfold spirit of God. And you can do a massive teaching just on the sevenfold spirit of God. You can do a massive teaching. That was one piece of, of gold that was hammered out, and, and the little flowers, the petals, everything in that lampstand speak about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a powerful thing. I taught on it one summer for eight weeks just on that, and it's so good. But then across from it, you got the table of showbread, and then before that, you got the altar of incense, the prayers of the saints wafting into the holy place, and then through the veil, once a year, one time a year, one guy... One guy once a year went into where the ark was, and the ark represented the presence of God. One guy once a year got to go in there and put the blood of that lamb, put the blood on that mercy seat, seven dabs on the top, seven dabs on the floor, representing that, that God and man, there's a satisfaction in it bringing it together. One time a year, one person got to experience the full presence of God, and God said, I will speak to you from between the cherubims. I'll speak to you from the mercy seat. One guy got to have that experience once a year year and it atoned for the sins of the whole nation but that's the whole thing but if you look at that and you look at how the pattern of how that's laid out here's the pattern even that pattern is the cross all of it's laid out in the cross and the cross is over all of it every single thing it all points to Jesus so the tabernacle was a shadow and a type of a real tabernacle but all of that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ the details of it are incredible and it's fun teaching it's fun to read about it's fun to talk about the specific colors and all the details but ultimately let's not get lost in the minutia and forget that this whole thing points to Jesus Jesus, and that's what's important about the whole thing. So Exodus 39, 1, 7, 21, 26, 39, 31, 43. Bingo. <laughs> I sound a little bit like Jack Van Impey there. That was awesome. Exodus 39, 1, 7, 21, 26, 39, 31, 42. Hut, hut. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of All right. It says, do this just as the Lord commanded Moses. Just as the Lord commanded Moses. So that was repeated over and over and over again. Everything they did, everything they built, everywhere, just in these past, but even before that, you see that they did everything specifically according to the detail that Moses was given. And then in Exodus 40, they're setting up the tabernacle. And when they're setting up the tabernacle, it says 40, 16, 19, 21, 23, 27, 29. Moses proceeded to do everything exactly as the Lord commanded. Then... 40, 33, 33. So at last, say at last. He finished the work. Say finished. Work. Finished. Work. Finished. Work. He finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled on it. A cloud of glory and a cloud of fire had settled on the tabernacle. And whoop, the glory was so strong, they couldn't even handle it. But the next day, they got up and did their business. Now, the glory didn't change, but you got to learn to function in the glory. Glory might slap you the first time it hits you. It might slap you for several weeks. But eventually, the glory of God comes on you for a purpose. And eventually, you got to stand in it, and you got to do what God wants you to do. It's powerful anointing, but stand in the anointing. The same thing that knocks you down can pick you up and set you in your destiny. So you got to embrace that. You got to, got to, got to. Because if they all laid around all day, eventually they'd say, what are these disobedient people doing? I mean, we got work to do here. Okay, so let's move along. Say quickly, Pastor. 
All right, so John 14, let's go to John 14. Let's look at another pattern here. You ready? Don't be troubled. It says, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, I would have, wouldn't have told you that, but I'm preparing a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and I will get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Interesting translation in that. Verse uh, 23, it says, Jesus replied, all who love me do what I say, and the Father will love them, and I will come, and we will make our home with each of them. Now, that word home, that word is room, that word is mone, that word in the King James Version in the verse above is translated as mansions. Earlier on, it's translated as mansions. Later on, it's tra translated as we'll make our place, we'll make our home. But it's the exact same word. Now, a lot of other translations don't use mansions because that is a miserable translation of that word. Now, if you believe and you've sang those songs, I got a mansion in glory and it, I don't mean to ruin, you know, your favorite songs and stuff, but you're not going to have a mansion in heaven. That's not what this is all about. In fact, this verse doesn't even apply to the second coming of Christ. It applies to the finished work of the cross, and it applies to when Jesus was going to return to them after his death, burial, and resurrection. So literally, this was all fulfilled in a weekend. And what Jesus is saying is, I now, because of me being fully doing every substitutionary act on your behalf, I am now going to go with my own blood to the throne room, and I'm going to establish a room for you in God. I will establish a place for you so that you can be seated with me in heavenly places. But then I'm going to return, and I'm going to make a place in you for the Father. So literally, what I'm going to do over this weekend is I'm going to make it possible for you to live by locational. That's what he did. You ever read, we are seated with him in heavenly places? How many feel like I'm seated on a purple chair at Impact Church? You are, but you know what? You are just and even more real seated with him in heavenly places. Right now, you have bilocational seating, and that was established because of the finished work of the cross. You see, just like God wanted to dwell with them in that tabernacle, the whole thing is God wants to dwell with you. But the tabernacle is a shadow and a type. He doesn't want to hang around with us in a tent where one person a year gets to experience his presence. He wants to take us. He wants to knit us together as living stones, and he wants to dwell in us. And he is building right now in the earth. Where That was the question. Where do you dwell? Where are you staying? You know where he's staying? right here and you know where he's staying right here and this tent is not a tent of individuals although I am a carrier in a mobile tabernacle of the glory of God the full expression of it is not individual the full expression of it is corporate it's not Christ in you it's not Christ in you Bill although Christ is in you and you're in him it's Christ in you it's plural it's fully plural and cannot be misunderstood. It's Christ in you is the hope of glory. And Christ is in you, and the glory is here right now. It's all here right now. He's here. He's not going to come back a little bit. We didn't get a partial Holy Ghost. We got the whole thing. And if you look at kingdom, Holy Ghost, and glory, those are used interchangeably in the New Testament. So you, when you say kingdom, you say Holy Ghost, you say glory of God. All of those are true. The person, third person of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost, he comes with the fullness of the kingdom, and he comes in the full glory of God. And those are all expressions of him. Can I get a hallelujah? And see, that's what that's all about. So here's Moses building the type, but we're living in the reality of it right now. All right. Please, settle down. Where's my mansion? Well, I have to teach an awful lot on heaven. I've taught on heaven before. We should do it again sometime. But if you go outside and you look around, what you're going to look at is heaven. It looks an awful lot like that. 
It's going to be heaven on steroids. But you see, there is a heaven that you go to when you would die and you step into paradise, and there is that heaven. But the ultimate reality of it all is heaven's going to an awful, look an awful lot like what you look at when you walk out the door. It's going to be pretty amazing. But it's going to blow your mind. You can't even compare what you're looking at now, but it'll look more like that than floating in a cloud with a harp. Now, when I was a kid, they talk about heaven was a 24-7 worship service around the throne of God. Now, when I was a kid, I was like, I feel really bad. But as a kid, I was kind of like, can I go swimming or run around or climb a mountain or throw rocks in a pond? I mean, it's 24-7 like this. And I was, how many are already thinking, the services are already a bit long. And as a kid, I was thinking, if it's 24-7, that I'd be like, like, why did God create all this awesome stuff if we don't get to run around and play? And he said, don't worry about it, Carl. Heaven is a place where you can run, enjoy, have a panic. And it's even a place, Carl, where you will have a job. But anyways, not to scare anybody who thought I can't wait to get to heaven so I don't have to work. <laughs> work is not an unholy thing. You can read the book of Job. It's not job. You can read it. It's okay. Anyways, thank you, pastor. <laughs> that was all helpful. But you see, it's Monet. God wants to make a place. A fixed abode in him. So you now, we now have a bilocational thing. Set your heart, set your mind, set your, have a, a, set yourself on things above where Christ is seated. See, don't set your mind on him, but it says set your mind on things. There are things in the glory. There are things in the throne room. There are things that God wants you to focus on because he wants you to buy location. He wants you to see there are things that exist in the spirit realm that are incredibly real. I want you to be living up here seeing this and I want you to call it into manifestation in this realm. And so we have a responsibility to live by locationally and we can and God has made it possible that we live in that spirit realm with eyes to see and ears to hear with accuracy but we're to call into manifestation the things of God in the here and now. And we are princes and kings and priests over incredible stuff. And that's what that's all about. That's what Jesus did. So Jesus did a lot of specific stuff. So we go to John 17, 4, 21. I brought you glory here on earth by what? I brought you glory by completing the work. How many want to bring him glory? Well, you bring him glory by dancing and spinning, going, woo! No, you bring him glory by completing the work. God's got something he's designed you for, created you for something powerful. You know, God wants you. There's something. Your job, where you are, what he's downloaded in you, what you're doing, you're doing it to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And that's what we're called to do. But Jesus said, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work. Jesus was sent with a job to do. And Jesus said, I have covered every detail of what you called me here to do. I have completed the work, Father, and I gave you glory. He said, now I pray, I pray that we will be one, just as you and I are one. That as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, I pray that they may also be in us, that the world might believe you sent us. Now, this isn't a prayer for the future, sweet by and by, that one day we might be in heaven. No, he's saying, now I pray, because I finished the work, I want the community, the communion, the union, Father, that you and I have. I pray now, because of what I'm about to complete and finish, I pray that the union that we have, that same union that they will enjoy and be brought into. It's like this, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Carl, Bill, Bertie, the same union they have, the same quality, the same dynamic, the same power. He is bringing us right into the Godhead. Not, not as gods, although he treats us a little bit lower than Elohim. He's bringing us into that community. And what is the quality of it? We are one with him as the Father and Son are one with each other. Whoa! Anyone in the, anyone in the Spirit is one Spirit with him. 
I can't get closer to him than I am. And if you don't believe that the prayers of Jesus are always answered, you got a problem. This is the high priestly prayer. This is what Jesus desires for every single believer. And believe me, he prayed the will of the Father and his high priestly prayer has been realized for us. And it's a sad, sad thing to see a church yearning for what they already have. It's a sad thing to see a church trying to jump through hoops and trying to be pleasing to get access into what they already have access to. Hello! Okay, let's go on to another slide because I'm going to finish up. Fire prepares and identifies where God will dwell. Fire fell in the tabernacle, fire fell in the temple, fire fell in the church. Fire, God always used fire as a sanctifying thing, but he said, all right, this is the place where I'm going to dwell. And now where are you going to dwell, Lord? He's dwelling in us. He's dwelling in the church. That's it. Give me another slide. Boom, bang. Luke 13, 16, Jesus answered, or John said, you know, I'm baptized with water, but the one who comes will baptize in the Holy Ghost and fire. And that fire, that baptism of fire is Jesus building that community, Jesus identifying that community. And then after the finished work of the cross, when Jesus said, I finished, I've done all I did, boom, high five, spirit's your turn. Because it was completely done exactly as it was supposed to be done, the fire of God comes and falls and identifies that this is where I dwell. And Pentecost was God himself saying, the church is now my dwelling place on earth. Amen. It's not complicated stuff. But all that we've read in the tabernacle, all of those details, all of this, all of it points to the finished work of the cross. Amen. All right. So 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not realize that all of you together, all of you together, not you, but all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. 1 Peter 2.5, he says, and you are living stones. God has built you together into his spiritual house. God has built you together because you know what? When people come, they should walk in this door and when we corporately gather, they should feel the mysterious, beautiful, wonderful presence of God because we are the house of God. And the most incredible feature of coming into the body of Christ should be, I had a guy walking out once. I run out to greet people. I had a guy going, out going there's something in there. <laughs> he went out, his eyes were like, ah, you know, it was like, And it wasn't people he was talking about. I encountered something in there today. What a sad thing for people to come to church and not expect to somehow have something beyond their comprehension, something inexpressible, something otherworldly has invaded their situation. If you go to a church and you didn't have something go on that had to be explained, you didn't have church. Church today is so explainable. It's so you, I mean, you know every time what's going to happen. A couple songs, a few announcements, a guy will teach a little bit, and we're home. And if they could pack it into an hour, 45 minutes even, so the better. But how about a little more like today where suddenly we just start, boom, doing different stuff, ministering to people's stuff, and God interrupts, says, I want to talk to people, I want to do a miracle, I want to touch some people's lives. I mean, it's a terrible thing when we have services, but he didn't get a chance to interact, you know? I mean, it's his house. Let the Father invade. Give me a slide. Just keep me moving. Keep me moving. There's the ark. That's what the ark looked like. Now, the ark was two pieces. It had the lid, the mercy seat, and it had the ark. The ark was made of acacia wood, a nice pure wood. Couldn't get any bugs in it. The wood represented 100% Jesus' humanity. The gold represents 100% God. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. That, that top piece was hammered out of one piece of gold. They had one chunk of gold. They hammered it to make that out of one piece of gold. And those two cherubim, the cherubim are guardians, and the cherubim were set there to guard the gate to make sure that they didn't go back 
remember? You can't go back to the tree of life because you're messed up, and I don't want you to be eternally messed up, so i got to keep you from the tree of life. But here they are guardians of the presence of God. But what they're looking at is the mercy seat. God's going to speak to us from the mercy seat. We come to the mercy seat, boldly to the mercy seat. The mercy has a seat, but grace has a throne. That's really good. Mercy has a seat, but grace has a throne. And boom, right there, the blood is placed. What are they looking at? They're looking at the blood, and the blood grants us access to every blessing of God. And so they look at the mercy seat, speak to us from the mercy seat. So very important stuff, but I got to move on. We could, you could teach on that forever, all the attributes of the ark and how it was made and how it's carried. So uh, now Hebrews chapter 9, 5 to 7, above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretch out over the ark. This is Hebrews. This is, this is Paul. I believe it's Paul. Many aren't quite sure, but I believe Paul's talking to a Hebrew mindset, and he's saying the new covenant's better. It's better, but he's talking about old covenant stuff, and he's trying to bring them into the revelation of what the old covenant was about. So he's talking to them about the mercy seat. He says, the ark where the cherubim of divine glory, his wings are stretched over the ark, cover the place of atonement, cover the mercy seat. He says, but I love this. He says, but listen, I, I can't explain all of those things in details right now. I mean, that was even Paul. Paul going, okay, I'm talking about the mercy seat. Oh, I don't have time. I can't get in. I feel like that. I don't have time. I can't get in the details right now. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Anyways, apparently scratched that. I was not. Okay. But we cannot explain these things in detail right now. It says he entered the holy place once a year. The priest went once a year, and he always offered blood for his own sins and the bloods of the people. Now, Hebrews 9, 8. But the Holy Spirit points out, this is all in this chapter, great chapter. It says, but the Holy Spirit points out. The Holy Spirit points out. The Holy Spirit is pointing out that the way to the true holy of holies is not yet thrown open as long as the former and outer portion of the tabernacle remains as a recognized institution and is still standing. Hello! The Holy Spirit, what he's trying to do, he's trying to teach these guys, if you prop up traditions, if you keep trying to prop up the old covenant, if you keep on trying to set up the institution of the tabernacle, if it still exists and is standing as an institution, not the glory, but the way to the glory will never be revealed to you. If you insist on hanging on to tradition and hanging on to, you know, what kind of flies can we eat and, you know, how many days of cleansing do I need? And if you take some of that stuff, you say, well, some of it was good. It says that as an institution, if you try to keep that standing, the way to the glory will not be revealed to you because God will not have mixture in the new covenant. It's all, all of that pointed to a new, but the old has been fulfilled and it is worn out and it is completely thrown out. And if you insist on any part of it still existing and still standing, the way to the glory, the true holy of holies will never be manifest to you. But I don't know why people do. A lot of people, they get stuck in. I love reading the law. I want to read the law. But when I read the law, I see Jesus. When I read the law, I see, you know, so many details because what Jesus did, only Jesus could do. It had to be specific. Jesus fulfilled every command. And because he did, I know it's perfectly fulfilled and perfectly done. Perfectly. And God shows that kind of detail. Why? Because he's shown no person, even the guy who built it, had to be filled with the Holy Spirit because a human couldn't even have pulled this off. Anybody tracking with me just a little bit? Three people. Okay. Hebrews 9, 12, it's not with the blood of goats and calves, but it was his own blood. Jesus went to the real holy of holies. Jesus went to the real throne room. Jesus went before the real cherubim, not carved out things. He went before the real guardians of the precious things. And he there took the blood and the guardians looked at the blood. And because they saw that, they said, mankind now has access to the throne of the father. Wow. 
done. Finished work. Jesus is the new and living way. And five Holy Ghost push-ups. Somebody has to send me what a Holy Ghost push-up is someday. I refuse to do them. But anyways, because you add anything to the finished work of the cross, you've created a different gospel, and it has no power. None. It's appeasing to the flesh, though, because the flesh loves to perform. It's true. It's funny as well. Okay, let's go to Romans. Uh, he obtained eternal redemption. Just say eternal redemption. Jesus, once and for all, obtained eternal redemption. So good. Romans 3, 21, 25. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even a righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. There is no difference for all of sin. He put everybody in one big pool. You're all sinners. But now you all can be made righteous through the one act of Jesus Christ. It's such good news. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God set forth, listen to this, who God set forth as the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He will speak to us from the mercy seat. Jesus, he, God has set him forth as a propitiation. That is the word used in Hebrews as mercy seat, that word, by his blood through faith. Can somebody say amen? Even if you don't even know what's going on, just say amen because it's all really, really good for you. Throw me another slide. We're going to move on. I'm almost done. Amos chapter 9 talks about another tabernacle. Now, that Ark of the Covenant I showed you, there was another tabernacle in the Old Testament. It was David's tabernacle. It literally was four posts with a piece of cloth over top. That's all it was. And you know what was underneath it? The Ark. And you know who had access to it? Everybody. And you know what else? Completely illegal in the Old Covenant. Every person who stood in front of that should have been stoned. Every single, and David, yet David set it up, and God was pleased with it. God was like, this is awesome. Acts talks about David, says David was lifted up in the spirit to see this day. David saw a day. You know what God's heart really is? It's not all of this sacrifice and rubble. It's not about all that. God wants us all to dwell in his presence. And David got that revelation, and David was bold enough to say, if you don't mind, Lord, I'm going to set up the tabernacle over here in Gibeon, but I'm going to bring your presence right by my place, and I'm going to set up a tabernacle for you, a little tent, and I'm going to let everybody 24-7 just dance and sing in your presence. That was the only sacrifice in David's temple, his tabernacle, the tabernacle of David. The only sacrifice was worship. And guess who was able to come? Gentiles, foreigners, women, men, children, anybody had access to the presence of God. The other one, once a year, one guy got to go, and not without blood. But in David's tent, everybody got access. Everybody. You know what? Here's God's glory. Come and see. Come and enjoy. God is with us. That's the heart of God. And David knew it. So David set it up, and then Amos said that in that day, which is our day, that that's the tabernacle that will be restored. There's no other tabernacle going to be restored. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. What tabernacle will be restored in the last days? Is it, is it the tabernacle of Moses? Is it the, the temple of Solomon? Which one is going to be restored? It says, in the last day, it's the tabernacle of David that I will rebuild. 
That's it. And then it says in Acts, so if you let the New Testament interpret the Old Testament, let the Bible interpret the Bible, which I wish people would do. The Bible, the New Testament's in total agreement under the heading the Gentile problem. Oh my goodness, I thought it was a Jewish thing. And yet Gentile people are coming to Jesus and get whacked in the Holy Ghost just like we did. This is a problem. And then God had to show them it's not a problem. And the apostle stood up and the apostle said, this is in agreement with the word. Which word? This is what he did. This is the word he used to solve the Gentile problem. He said, the tabernacle will be built. David's tabernacle, that which has fallen down, I will set it up again and I will restore it. And I'll set it up like it was before. That's the tabernacle we're in right now. Where every single person now, because of the finished work of the cross, we all have access to the presence of God. Every one of us. So let me move on really quickly. Because that in itself is a long sermon. Wrapping it up right now. Just three more slides. Solomon, his dad dies. His dad moves on. He says, I don't know how to lead these people. I, I don't come in and go out like my dad did. Coming in is knowing how to engage God. Going out is knowing how to take territory and take land. He says, I've never come in and gone out like my father. I don't know what to do. I need you to help me. I've got to lead these people. So he goes to where he thinks is the most important place. He goes to Gibeon. He goes to where the tabernacle is. And he makes sacrifices at the tabernacle. But the interesting thing about that tabernacle, there was one thing missing at that tabernacle. It was the presence of God. See, all the other instruments were there, and the priesthood was doing everything. But the thing that was missing at that tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, was right by the palace. The Ark of the Covenant was under the tent of David. But he thought, I'll go to Gibeon, I'll do sacrifices. So look at the next verse. Give me the next slide. It goes to the next verse. It says, then he goes into a dream, and the Lord says, what do you want? He says, give me an understanding heart. If I'm going to lead people, you know what I need? I don't need wealth, money, all kinds of other things. I need a heart that is able to listen to you. I need a heart that can hear. I need to be totally connected with you. And God went, awesome. That's good stuff. So that's what he asked for. He said, I need that heart because leading these people, it's a way bigger job than a human can do. I need you. Give me the next thing. Now, here he is. He's at Gibeon. He's at the tabernacle that doesn't have the ark. He's at the tabernacle, the old covenant, the thing that's still standing as an institution. And he's there standing before it, thinking I need to hear from God. God speaks to him. Now, when he gets a full download of understanding, click. I understand. My head has been open. My heart has been open. I hear from God. The wisest guy who ever existed, except Jesus, was wiser than him. But here's Solomon. When that guy got a full download of wisdom, you know what he realized? I'm at the wrong tent. And what did he do? He went and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant in the tent of David. When you get a full revelation of what God wants to do, that will bring you without fear, without shame. It'll bring you right to the presence of God. Because where does God want to dwell? He wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell in us. And if you're a wise person and a wise person understanding, you'll be completely delivered from religious tradition and all the religious nonsense. You'll be free of all the old covenant restrictions and what you can eat, flies, legs, twisted, whatever. You'll be free of the bondage, free of the yoke, and realize all of that pointed to a day when Jesus would fulfill everything and he would introduce you and bring you into where you and the Father and he are one. Give me another slide. God wants to be with you. He has fulfilled every requirement for this relationship. You were created to be filled with his presence to manifest the whole, to the whole cosmos that you are a child of God. Come on, stand up with me took me an hour and a half to preach that last night. <laughs> I hope you're hearing. I hope you're listening. I prayed about this a lot. I was like, oh, God. 
I know there's a lot of different dots to kind of connect here, but I pray you'd connect this in everybody's heart. You know, just want heads bowed, eyes closed. Just listen now. Maybe you're here today and, and you know, you're asking, Lord, where do you stay? You've heard him, you've heard, you've seen, you, you know you're in his presence, but you're asking that same question of those earlier father, early followers of Jesus. The question is, where are you staying? What do you want? What, what do you guys want? I want to know where you're staying. Maybe you want to know where he's staying. Maybe you want to know, hey, I want to be where you are. I want you in my life. I've heard some good news today. And what I'm hearing, I want to be a part of. If you've never said, Lord, come, make your home in me. I agree that you dealt with everything. You covered it all. And I invite you to be the Lord of my life. If you've never done that, I'd like you to do it today. We're all praying for you. I just encourage you. I'm going to go to one, two, three. I'm going to count to three. When I do, that's where you just put your hand up and say, pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me. And then we're all going to pray together, all right? But if that's you, put your hand up. You ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand up really high so I can see it. Lift it up really high. Lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You can still do it. If you miss three and you go, oh, I missed it. You can't miss it. There's still time. So lift your hand up really high. All right, that's great. We're all going to pray with you. We're all going to pray. So you lift up your voice, and we're all going to pray too, okay? So here we go. You ready? Lord Jesus, I receive you as my eternal redemption. I receive forgiveness of sins. I receive healing. I receive restoration. And I declare that I am a forgiven child of God. Holy Spirit, come in my life. Testify with my spirit that I am a child of God. Thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. That was some good right there. Can I get those who are ministering at the altar? Can you guys come up today? We got ministry team and things. Maybe you're saying, I might like to be on that ministry team. I think I could pray for people. Then talk to us because we need to build the ministry team and expand that. If something you'd like to do or minister in, you know, send me an email. Talk to me and we'd like to make sure that you're equipped and trained to, to do that. All right. But there's folks ready to pray for you today. So if you need prayer in any way, the altar is open. All right. Don't forget today. It's a special day. George's birthday, Daytona 500, so many good things. And I was talking to Jesus earlier, and he said he's in a really good mood. He's in a really good mood. He loves you so much. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you with incredible dreams. I bless you with an uncluttered heart and an uncluttered life that is clear in the revelation of how good he is and how good he is for you. I bless you with a life that is so full to overflowing that your needs are so more than met, that your eyes are on others, that your eyes are on those around you, and you're just a, a flooding conduit of spiritual favors everywhere you go. I bless you in the name of the Father and his wonderful love. I bless you in the name of the Son, Jesus, our joint heir. His beautiful grace is upon you. And I bless you in the name of the Holy Ghost. I bless you in the partnership of the Spirit of God that goes with you and works with you and partners in and through you to manifest the kingdom. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.